Welcome to Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun-loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century. I'm Andy Redwine, and with me as always is my co-host and fellow Mouseketeer, Larry Brenner. How are you, Larry? I'm swell, Andy. How are you doing? Hey, I'm great. Um, So today we're going to do something a little different. Ooh, what are we doing? He said as if he didn't prepare in advance. (laughs) Well, after all these episodes, we decided it was high time to bring in the one character who is the very reason we're talking about all these episodes at all, Mickey Mouse himself. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of wrong that we didn't cover him at all in season one. Feels like an oversight. We should probably (laughs) talk about Mickey Mouse. Yeah, maybe, maybe. There's a lot of there are a lot of great short uh, Mickey Mouse films, but the two we're going to dig into today are 1938's Brave Little Taylor and 1947's Mickey and the Beanstalk, as both films have our fair hero battling a giant. And I think both of these films hold up pretty well, uh, especially if you've got young kids at home. Uh, we watched Mickey and the Beanstalk tons, and we also watched the Brave Little Taylor a fair, a fair amount when my boys were young. Yeah. We watched it just, I mean, of course, we've watched it this week as a family, and uh, it definitely holds up. Definitely gets the laughs. Okay, so some key facts to set the stage. The Brave Little Taylor was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Animated Short Film in 1939, but the award went to one of my favorite Disney shorts from this time period, Ferdinand the Bull. If you haven't seen Ferdinand the Bull, you need to see that. Um The Brave Little Tailor, like other Disney pieces, is based on a German fairy tale. And this particular story shows up in a number of places, most notably in the Grimm uh, fairy tale collections. And it has a myriad of permutations. I don't even want to take the time to go through all the ones I found, but there are tons. Uh, Brave Little Tailor is Disney's particular spin on that. So let's see. Then Mickey and the Beanstalk first appears as the second half of the package movie Fun and Fancy Free from 1947. And the film started as The Legend of Happy Valley and originally was conceived as a feature created by shorts animators, thereby cutting the cost significantly. So again, if you can make it as a short, you... And stretch it into a feature. You don't have to pay people as much. Um, So Mickey and the Beanstalk is loosely based on the English fairy tale Jack and the Beanstalk. Also with a number of iterations. And I found out this cool little gem, Larry, that in 2016, uh, Dr. Jamie Tarani from Durham University found this story of the boy who stole Ogre's treasure as a story that could be traced back to when Eastern and Western Indo-European languages split more than 5,000 years ago. Wow. So this is a story that's been told and told and told and told in various cultures throughout, uh, you know, throughout world history. So there's several, and again, several iterations of this story actually exist in Disney culture. Sterling Holloway narrates it for the wonderful world of Disney television series there's another version that ends up in home video that was narrated by Ludwig, Ludwig von Drake and Herman the Boodle Beetle in 1963. Um, and still another version is narrated by Sherry Lewis and Lamb Chop in 1973. And that echoes the ventriloquism of, of Edgar Bergen hosting with Charlie McCarthy and, and Mortimer Snurd in the um, fun and fancy free version. 
And I think we should point out, just in case there's future uh, confusion about this, Andy and I both watched different versions of Mickey and the Beanstalk for this. I watched the one with Sterling Holloway uh, narrating it. You'll know Sterling Holloway as the voice of Winnie the Pooh, Ka the Python, uh, the Cheshire Cat. And Andy, you watched the original from Fun and Fancy Free, I think? I did, yes. Okay. And well, well, so there may be some some moments where Andy and I have like a dis, like she remembers the dragonfly thing as being bigger than I do. So just bringing that up there so we can reconcile it later. Right, right. Well, we're going to go through each of these films respectively and then come back together to compare and contrast some characters and and noting uh, some shifts and maybe a couple of characters, too. Yeah. Uh, which one do you want to start with? Should we start with Brave Little Taylor? Or, oh, let's uh, go in chronological order. Absolutely. Let's all right. Brave Little Taylor. So in our twin Manish Tanaz today, uh, Brave Little Taylor, uh, this is an eight minute short. So so things happen very quickly here. Uh, and when we're talking about the Manish Tanah, the point of attack, we're asking, why does the Brave Little Taylor begin exactly where it begins? Uh, we get the sense at the beginning of this movie that there's a kingdom there's a giant in the kingdom. Uh, I, I mean, I feel like I feel like it's not particularly hard to say why do we start where we start. Uh, we got eight minutes. We got to get right to it. Right, the giants terrorizing the community. Right, and so it's citizens beware. What will we do? So I think we can do Brave Little Taylor really quickly in terms of plot, and then we'll go back to Mickey and the Beanstalk, which is big, which is a, a bigger meal. Oh sure, uh, and. If, if you don't mind, Andy, I'll just whiz us through Brave Little Taylor. Oh, perfect. So uh, we see all of the townspeople. They're very upset about the giant. They're looking for a giant slayer. No heroes emerge on, on the scene. Uh, similarly, in his house, we see Mickey battling with some flies and a fly swatter. He kills seven in one blow. And as fates would happen, as people outside his house are going, hey, can, does, does anybody know anyone who can kill a giant? Mickey, proud of his insect slaying, goes out the window and goes, I killed seven in one blow. And thus starts a misunderstanding. That's our inciting incident right there. Uh, the people have decided that Mickey, you know, overhearing Mickey sends Mickey on this journey. It's what changes the course of the movie. It's what sets Mickey on a path to fight the giant. Uh we have some rising action. Uh, Mickey goes to the court of the king. Uh, at first, he does what we, we've sometimes referred to as the refusal of the call. Uh, like, you know, he tells the story about him killing the flies. He's, uh, he's not surprised that people want to hear this story. Of course, they think he's talking about giants. Uh, when he finally realizes there's a misunderstanding and he's being sent to kill the giant, Mickey goes for the refusal of the call. He doesn't want to do it, except Minnie is the princess. She comes over and gives Mickey some kissing, uh, making it very clear they will get married if this happens. And Mickey, even though he's just a tailor, is so immediately in love with Minnie, uh, kind of drunk from her kisses, it feels like to me, uh, says he'll do it. Uh, He goes out. So that's all rising action. The climax would therefore be the confrontation between Mickey and the giant. Uh, This is a decidedly one-sided fight. 
Uh, what I particularly enjoy is Mickey saves the day, not through strength or cunning, but through use of his tailor's uh, abilities. He, he goes in and he ties the giant up in knots, defeats the giant, and everybody lives happily ever after. It is a very straightforward by-the-numbers story. And he sews him up with what's apparently the world's strongest thread. I mean, if that's where you want to suspend your disbelief, I. but I, I, I don't particularly have a problem with it. Nah. And also, to be noted, Mickey doesn't kill the giant, even though he's been tasked to slay it. Uh, the giant is going to serve as the source for a carnival. Uh, and that's just that's just what's going to happen, because Mickey doesn't kill. He's not a murderer. Right. Right. Okay, so that's Brave Little Taylor, and I just want to point out how simple this story is and how it works pretty neatly. We get from point A to point point D very quickly. Mickey and the Beanstalk is an ex I mean, I don't want to say it's an expanded version of this. It's a much, it's a significantly, it's got a significantly longer amount of time to cover. So let's take a look at how it does. Let's go back to the Manish Tana. In this one, we start off with a storybook opening, as we do in many Disney movies. But we don't start on Mickey. We start instead on the town of Happy Valley. We start with the harp singing um, My What a Lovely Day. And all of, all of the animals in the kingdom are singing My What a Happy Day. We see this happy little kingdom. And then we see a hand reach for the harp. And that's, and that's, you know, the beginning of the movie. So I would ask you, Andy, why do we start here in Mickey and the Beanstalk? We're starting with neither Beanstalk nor Mickey. We're all only left with and the. Why are we, st why are we starting here? <laughs> well, we don't even really see Mickey, right? In the beginning, we see, again, there's a shadow that's come over Happy Valley but without that harp, if we don't know about the harp, if we don't know about it, I mean, you probably could just lose all of this. Sure. Um, but it doesn't really set up the harp as well. You've got to set up the harp. Um, Do I think. you, though? Because in the traditional Jack uh. and the Beanstalk story, there is no talk of Happy Valley. There is mm -hmm. no, like, Jack discovers the harp when he gets up there. Do you mm. need to? I'm going to throw out, I think there's a different reason we're starting out here. And it actually has something to do with the brave little tailor. Mickey is virtuous. Mickey doesn't kill. But you know what else Mickey doesn't do? He doesn't steal. And in the ah. original Jack and the Beanstalk, Jack goes up the Beanstalk. The giant lives up in the clouds and right. has messed with nobody. Um... He goes in there. He goes up like three separate times, Jack. He comes back with money. He goes back up again. I think he sometimes gets like the golden goose. Sometimes he gets the harp. He usually goes up three times. On right. the third time, the giant catches him. Um, it ends with the giant's death. But we can't have Mickey be a crook. Mickey's a good guy. Right. He's not stealing the harp. He's rescuing the harp. Mickey always does what's right. And by setting it up this way, we erase any questions about Mickey's actions later. Everything he's done is justified in this version of the story 
the giant started it. Right. And we immediately see the consequences of the giant's action. Right. And Mickey's going to finish it. Right. And so the thing that about Happy Valley, when, when the harp is gone and Happy Valley is now Gruesome Gulch, right? It's now right. the awful, awful place. Um, then uh, Mickey's got to save the day. Yes. Otherwise, everybody, including his two friends, are going to starve to death. And that's exactly all of the problems in Happy Valley were caused by Willie in the first place. And so there's a sense that Willie does need a comeuppance. He's not some giant who just hangs on a cloud. He messed with the natural order of things. And Mickey's got to redress the balance. And I think that's what we're struggling with at the beginning of the movie. I think it's fine. I think it's fine. No, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think the more I think about this and the more you're talking, like I think you're I think you're making the case for it. Because if if we can't have Mickey Mouse being a uh a guy who <laughs> just <laughs> we can't have him being just a trespasser, right? No. Although I will point out Donald could do the job. If you wanted ah. to go with the traditional Jack and the Beanstalk, Donald's a little more morally ambiguous. I could I could see Donald being like, well, he he gets greedy sometimes. Maybe you even want to do Uncle Scrooge. I could see Uncle Scrooge doing oh, this, yeah, this for quite sure. well. For sure. Um, but going just back to structure, the tricky part for me now is it almost feels like we have two inciting incidents. Uh, it almost feels like the giant stealing the harp is the inciting incident. But it isn't. It's exposition. The inciting incident is something that has to happen to our protagonist. And and uh, what is particularly funny in this movie is I think the inciting incident happens off panel. Yes. Okay. so 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 no, I had this I had this major I had this major problem with this. I'm like, if Mickey's the protagonist, he should be selling the cow. I mean, he's selling the cow for money for food, right? Yes. And but we should see that. Yes. Right. We should see the the transaction, but we don't. It's Mickey and the Beanstalk. Mickey goes off on a journey with the cow, but we stay home with Donald and Goofy. We actually don't. And so when Mickey comes back with the beans, we don't really get a sense of whether why Mickey made this trade. I, and and I have to because we're in Donald's point of view. I, I mean, you could say we're in Donald and Goofy's point of view. I'll tell you, I'm in Donald's point of view at oh, that of particular. Of course, yeah. Um, but but you know, Donald's reaction is, Mickey, you idiot. Donald wants to murder him for the for for the beans. <laughs> uh, and and so it it does it does ask. We understand not our protagonist as well as we understand Donald in this moment. It's a weird little it's a weird little shift. The inciting incident of of getting the magic beans uh you know weird. Uh we don't see Yeah, it. it's it's almost an afterthought. It's almost like the beans are an afterthought. And Donald's anger at Mickey not bringing home money for this cow, you know, inadvertently p- plants these magic beans, right? Yeah. And then the beanstalk grows to the land above the clouds. But in that moment, Donald becomes the protagonist because he's acting on the scene. Mickey's the antagonist who's upsetting Donald, who's not getting his his hunger filled. So it's this really weird kind of jarring moment. 
It's a point and, of view issue. You're exactly yeah, right. Yeah. And then um, and then all of a sudden we go back to this. And it, it is when you watch it, it's like, oh, is, what is this about? And you'll even watch your like I watch my kids watching this movie and they're like, wait a minute. What, what just happened? Oh, OK, I'm in this. But there's that moment where they stop and kind of click and they're like, wait, what? And then it's like, oh, OK, they just accept it. Um, but it is it is an interesting as a writer, you know, you ha- we have to think about whose point of view we're telling the story from and, and remain consistent with that, I think. In, and com- contrasting this just a little with, with Brave Little Taylor. Right. Once we meet Mickey in Brave Little Taylor, we follow Mickey for the rest of the short. 100%. Here, here, Mickey leaves and we're, we're switching, I feel, between Donald and Mickey throughout mm-hmm. the first half of this. Eventually, we settle in with Mickey but they're they're fighting for protagonist space and Donald is winning at the beginning. Which is interesting when you think about Disney, like other Disney shorts, Donald and Mickey also fight for protagonist space. So this isn't really inconsistent with that. No, it's just weird when it's a longer piece, longer than eight minutes. Well, right? And usually in those cartoons, when Donald, Goofy and Mickey get together, they immediately split, split up and have their own A plot, B plot, C plot. So we're shifting different stories here. Right. It's just right. Donald and Goofy don't really go off on their own at any point. They're locked in a they're locked in a box, but they're not having an adventure at that point. Right. So right. Uh, just to get us through structure a little bit, rising action. Uh, the beanstalk grows. Our heroes are propelled up into the castle in the sky. Uh, or it's not just a castle. There's a whole ecosystem up there. There's a garden. There are giant bugs. Uh, everything is giant-sized. Uh, they go in. They immediately gorge themselves on the giant's food. The uh, And then the giant emerges. When would you say, Andy, this... this uh, movie reaches its climax, where the forces of good and evil are are at war, where things could possibly go very badly. Well, Mickey unlocks the the um, gets the key and from the giant's pocket and unlocks the, I guess the treasure chest that holds the harp inside and his friends inside. He releases them, and then it's like, okay, well that's. Hooray, they're free, but they're not really free yet. Um, the giant's still uh, still going to chase them, but Mickey's wise enough to tie this giant's shoelaces together, right? Or he and tries to. Tries to, and a nod to the brave little tailor. So, you know, again, a string and there's something, you know, some sort of string is going to string this guy up, right? Um, but the giant falls to the earth after chasing the guys. And I think that's the climax because once the giant's dead, then the movie, you know, then we're okay. And Happy yeah, Mi- Valley can go back to status. Yeah, Mickey ch- and the conflict between Mickey and the giant is the climax. Uh, but what's interesting is there's a climaxiest part to this because Mickey has a couple of interactions with Willie, uh, right? He 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 tries to outwit Willie and get Willie to change himself into a fly so that he can kill him, which is another little another nod to nod. the brave little yes, tailor. One hundred percent. I just connected that now when you said the other thing, but I'm I'm very happy with it. Um, 
and that doesn't work out. And then Mickey is behind the box. Uh, he, the giant falls asleep and Mickey's got to do stuff. But you're right. The chase at the end where they've got the harp and the giant is Willie is running after them. That is the cl- most climax part, because that's really where it's life and death. The giant has become desperate and and our f- heroes need to escape. Now, falling action is going to be interesting in this one. There, the fall. There is no falling action in the Sterling Holloway version. It, it when the when the Mickey, Donald, and Goofy part of this ends, it just ends. It's it's fade to black. We go to commercial. They climb down the beanstalk. We see Willie falling, and that's it. You get a weird falling action in your version with uh, Edgar Bergen and uh, Charlie McCarthy. Right, I do. And the the fun and fancy free version, we go back into that living room with Edgar Bergen, Charlie McCarthy, Mortimer Snur, Jiminy Cricket, and um, Luana. And we see that, um, you know, oh, Willie's, you know, Mortimer Snur's afraid of Willie. He's sad that Willie's dead. Um, and he says, no, no, Willie's not dead. He's just a figment of your imagination. And then Willie actually lifts the roof on the house and says, Oh, hey, have you guys seen it? You know, and then, of course, Willie walks through the streets of Hollywood, um, which is kind of, I guess, fun and fancy free. Um, so, um, But in your version, too, when it was shown on the world, wonderful world of Disney, um, Walt Disney does his thing at the end where he talks about well, what you've just seen or whatever. And and the roof of his office is lifted up. And Willie's talking and interfacing with Walt Disney. So there's there's a little bit of that. Um, but the falling action in both of these is really not about the story. No. It's not about our... We don't see our heroes aftermath. We don't see Happy Valley get restored. We don't, we don't see the happy ending. It's implied. What, right. what apparently we're invested in is, did Willie live or die when he fell off the beanstalk? Right. Uh, and the answer is he didn't, but he's now in our world hunting Mickey, uh, right. implying that there's going to be some sort of rematch between the two of them. I guess. I guess. Maybe. Uh, so, interesting. I feel like I want that falling action, though. I want to see... Oh, yeah. How, it's like, I, what, did I miss something? And I was actually rewinding. Like, I felt like I missed something. Like, oh, are are the friends gonna... What about the cow? Are they gonna go get the cow back? She was a beloved friend. I mean, it's that. Like, well, what's gonna happen? <laughs> I think the cow is probably better off wherever it is, but we'll get to that. <laughs> All right, so, so we've looked at structure. Uh, So I want to talk a little bit about why I chose the version I chose and why you chose the version that you chose. Um, Mm -hmm. Most of you who who have watched this in preparation, if you have, you probably felt you had no choice but to watch the version Andy watched. It's the only version that's on Disney Plus. Right. Uh, It's the second half of Fun and Fancy Free. Right. And again, the Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy radio show is really important here. And people might be going, who is this guy? Um, so he's huge. So the, the radio show takes place from about 1936 to 1955. So it has a 19 year run. It's extremely popular. I'm not sure why ventriloquists are popular in the radio world, but you know, there you have it. And Charlie McCarthy, Mortimer Snurd, and he has a couple other, um, uh, characters that he does. And it is, again, it's crazy popular. 
Yeah, I'm going to go one step further. I don't even think ventriloquism works as a movie or TV medium. I think ventriloquism is at its most exciting in a live audience perspective. Right, right. You know, what? Um, you know when when he's got when we're doing close-ups of Charlie McCarthy talking or or Mortimer Sneed talking, um, that's not impressive to me. That's just because you know, because I don't see Edgar Bergen in the shot at all throwing his voice. Right. If you yeah, I mean in that way it's sort of like pre Muppet. Yes. Because you have this. Um, you know nobody's thinking. I mean I, I say nobody's thinking about they're definitely using puppets, especially in children's uh, in children's things, uh, early broadcasts of children's television. Um, but yeah, I, it is, uh, it's a head scratcher because I mean, Edgar's clearly moving his mouth and there's, it's just, um, yeah, it's tough. It's rough. Yes. But I'll, I'll, I'll buy for this. He's got the star power to make fun and fancy free work. Sure. His name's on the marquee. I'll go with it. Yes. But for me, I hate the Ed- I-, I love Edgar Bergen. I hate the Edgar Bergen narration parts, and I hate most of the narration for this because of a concept called aesthetic distance, which I thought this would be a good chance to talk about it. We talked have about we narration. ever work. talked about aesthetic distance? I don't think we have. I don't let's, think we have. Let's dig right in. The idea here is that when you interrupt the action of a scene to have the narrator speak... You are reminding your audience that what they are seeing isn't real. And therefore, you are taking them a little bit out of the show and not allowing them to fully immerse themselves in the story that they're seeing. You're just reminding them what you're seeing is fake. What you're seeing is false. What you're seeing is play. Right. And, and so you, it's in, it's almost impossible to suspend your judgment when you have somebody like talking in your in your ear. That's exactly um, which is, it. Which is what's happening the entire time. And and again, if the audience was, how do I want to say this? If they're sort of shaped by radio as to what to expect from Edgar Bergen, and they're like, oh, it's Edgar Bergen. This is what he does, right? Then they're kind of like, oh, yeah, this, this makes sense. Mickey and the Beans. Oh, he's offering commentary through this whole thing, which is what Edgar Bergen, Charlie McCarthy, and Mortimer Snerd do, right? But in this, man, it takes away from it. We don't need it. We didn't need it in Snow Mm-mm. White, and Mm-mm. we didn't need it in Pinocchio. And we don't ever, when we go to a movie, we go to a movie to be engaged with that reality. We don't need people constantly coming out and saying, remember, this is a story. Remember, this is a movie because that's not important to us. Right. Um, it, it just it removes us from it. And there's there is a line of reasoning for doing this sometimes in children's theater, which is, you know, if you're concerned that the kids are going to get too scared, you have a narrator interrupt the action when things start to get a little too intense and you just remind them that what they're seeing is a show. And that that's a reason to do it. But, but if you're going to do it, like Snow White has some scary stuff in it. Pinocchio has some scary stuff in it. Oh, 100%. I don't think anybody's scared enough of Willie. Like if to to warrant that kind yeah. of rescue for a kid. Yeah, he's just not that terrifying. I mean, compared I to, to the coachman, 
oh compared gosh, to right? compared to the evil queen's transformation into mm-hmm. the, into the hag. I mean, it's it's there's he's just not scary in that way. No, not um, at all. I would argue that maybe so so. That's why I didn't want to do the Edgar Bergen version. That's why I didn't want to do uh, the Sherry Lewis Lamb Chop version. The Ludwig von Drake version of this, though, is worse than the other two. <laughs> because it adds an element to it, which is Herman the Bug, that that uh, Ludwig is arguably telling this story to. Uh, there's a moment where Ludwig thinks that he might have accidentally killed Herman when he squeezed a grape. He thinks maybe it might be Herman. There's like right. a little story going on here, and they're trying to make us worry did Ludwig accidentally kill Herman? At one point, there's like a commercial break where Ludwig is like, oh my goodness, what have I done? And uh, like we cut to black. The suspense is not, will Mickey get away from the giant? It's, right. did the narrator accidentally kill his surrogate audience in the middle of telling the story? And I'm going to argue that is a super false tension. And and if you're giving me the narrator has a plot and the narrator has something going on that has nothing to do with the story, man, are we so removed from where we need to go. Well, and that's where we are with Edgar Bergen um, in this telling of the story, because it becomes more about what's going on in the living room often than what's going on with Mickey. And Mickey is far more interesting. I mean, Mickey's the reason we came to see, I I think. Yeah, he's the reason we, we, well, today he's the reason we press, press play, right? Um, and the Edgar Bergen version has almost mystery science theater uh, version yeah, to it, where yeah. like they're kind of making fun of the story that we're seeing while we yeah, watch it. Yeah, that was in my notes too. It feels like a rut. I mean, a total rib. And so, so, yeah. So for me, listener, the best version of this is Sterling Holloway doing the narration. We never leave Mickey and the Beanstalk. We are always entirely in it. I don't believe he's entirely necessary. I think the best answer would be no narrator at all. But if you that's not an option on this multiple choice test. And it can be really hard to find the Sterling Holloway version. We will put a link to I hunted it down. I was very proud of myself. <laughs> I will amazing. put a Yes, I will put a link to it on our Facebook page, and I would encourage you, if you saw the fun and fancy free version, watch this version too, and see if see which one you like better, and let us know. Uh, well, and and we have you know fun and fancy free again is a package film, and it's made you know from two different shorts that started out as feature lengths that kind of got condensed, and it was like okay, what can we do with this? Uh, we kind of need to put something out there. And of course, Bongo um, is on the front end of that with Dinah Shore. Uh, Dinah Shore has her own star power during this time period and Edgar Bergen on the back end of that. And they got so Jiminy makes, Cricket running through too, and right? Jiminy Cricket's running through and around. And he's part of the story as well as to, you know, these he he's in the space that he shouldn't be in and he's learning about, he goes to a party and, he eats cake and there are things that he does that are just sort of um, just sort of quirky. And so it really doesn't um, it's not a movie in the way we think of movies now, but it's definitely like a almost like a double feature for children. Yes, right? I would so agree you, with that. If you I have like that's a, probably the thinking. 
Yeah. So if you have like a 30 minute, you have 30 minutes here and 30 minutes here, and we put these together and children, you know, can enjoy this on a Saturday afternoon and it does okay. I mean, the movie, the movie makes enough money to finance Cinderella and, you know, Peter Pan and, and Alice in Wonderland. So it was a good bet that paid off. Um, but it, again, it is, uh, these package films are different than what we think of when we think of movies. Like Bongo has absolutely nothing to do with making the beanstalk. We tried to find a through line. It's just not there. Bongo no. has more, has more in, uh, really has more in common with, say, Dumbo than it oh, does. Oh, it's 100%. I, I would put Bongo and Dumbo in the same circus. Uh, it's right. the same kind of story. <laughs> right. Um, right. I do want to just say one more thing about narration, and then we can move to characters. Oh, sure. Brave Little Taylor, one of the nice things, and Andy was the one who suggested we contrast these two, two cartoons. Brave Little Taylor doesn't have any narrator in it, really. I mean, uh, running through it just lets mickey be at the center of his story and trusts us to follow along and it works and we just we don't need that much narration here i feel like i'm saying this every week now hopefully hopefully next week we won't have a narrator but But uh, but the narration is is it really keeps you from well what it says to me is that somebody doesn't trust their audience that's exactly it that's exactly um, it. Now, sometimes I, you know, I've seen, I say that and I watched a movie the other day and I loved the narration in it. And I thought this is really great because it's funny or it takes me to a place that's interesting or it sets something up to pay it off in the scene or, you know, it, it's part of the exposition um, and, and it can be an interesting device. But in this case, it just gets there in are, the way. There are great ways to use narration. The best way to use narration is to reveal information that would otherwise not be apparent to the listener, to the viewer, as they're watching the movie. If you watch a TV series like Dexter, not that we'll ever talk about Dexter here, or Veronica Mars, um, those are two series that use narration. But what's great about it is whenever they're narrating their story, they're telling us things that inform the scene that otherwise we wouldn't know. Here... They're telling us, look at that castle over there. Yeah, you, you're you also in charge of the camera, narrator. I have no choice but to look at the castle. I wasn't going to miss it. It's a big castle. Oh, 100% <laughs> a mystery science theater, though. It's 100%. Yeah, um, yeah. riff tracks, whatever. It's, it's definitely so like So should this. we get into characters a little bit here, Andy? Let's do it. Uh, let's talk about my favorite character in yours, Mr. Mickey Mouse. Okay. What do we think about Mickey Mouse? What do I think about Mickey Mouse? Um, I think, I mean, Mickey Mouse is well-intentioned. He's he's pure and good and virtuous. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, how do you not like Mickey Mouse? My problem, so, but if you're going to ask me about Mickey Mouse, I'm going to tell you the Mickey Mouse in Brave Little Taylor is the better version of Mickey Mouse yeah. Than the Mickey Mouse in Mickey and the Beanstalk. Now uh, imagine that we now I, again with that narration. If we took it all out, would we like Mickey better? I I see, but it's it's more it's more than that though. I mean, yes, I'm I'm with you. Um, in but in Brave Little Taylor, Mickey is in over his head, and we know exactly why he's doing it. Mm-hmm. He's doing it's just the clearest motivation. 
the kisses of Minnie Mouse are enough for him to brave what is almost certain death. He's just so smitten and in love with her at first sight that he's going to go and fight a giant. And that is so lovable to me. Well, I love how he goes in front of the king and tells this outlandish tale about how he kills the flies and really just revs it up, right? And everybody thinks he's talking about giants. And it totally backfires on him. I mean, the one time where he's not completely ethical, it completely backfires on him. And, you know, he's got to, gosh, he's, and then the king makes him this offer and he's like, oh, wait a minute, I'm no giant killer. Right? <laughs> so but cute. the Mickey, the Mickey in Mickey and the giant, uh, Mickey and the Beanstalk, like his skin in the game is kind of like, well, he's here, he's up in the castle. Might as might as well like there's a giant in front of him. Yeah, I mean they. I don't think they knew that the giant was the one who who took away the the harp because they were kind of all surprised to see her there, and then she, they rescue her. I mean, of course, and but he is this unlikely hero, and he does these dumb things that kind of turn out to be really wise in the end, right? Well, but, uh, they're, but they're fun. They're fun. And it's 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 playful. And he's, but, he's super but this playful. Is exact, this is exactly the point. The, the point that you just made is Mickey. We know in the audience that the giant is the one who stole the harp. Right. But Mickey doesn't know it. And the Mickey Mouse I know when the giant comes into the castle, apologizes to the giant for trespassing. Like right. says, I had no idea we were just so hungry and tries to befriend the giant. And then maybe then realizes, oh, this giant is a bad sort. Mickey Mickey doesn't immediately jump to conclusions that people are bad. He generally uh, gives the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. Donald is the suspicious one. He's the hothead, right. 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 Well, Because Donald assumes that other people will do to Donald what Donald does to other people. And <laughs> M- M- Mickey makes assumptions, too. Play with play with that a little bit that Mickey, when he gets here, doesn't immediately realize this giant's the bad guy. He seems cool. Right. And, and, and again, in this story with Mickey as the protagonist, it's sad because all of the other characters are far more interesting than he is. Can I say that? No, you can. Well, with one exception, I think. Uh, yeah. Yes. I mean, yes. I, I, I mean, the golden harp's not that interesting. But Goofy, Goofy and either. Donald, well, Goofy, yeah, Goofy has bits, right? Um, but but Mickey, Donald, but Donald and the giant are far more interesting. Okay, so long-standing feeling, and people are going to be mad at me. <laughs> Mickey always suffers in comparison to Donald. The flawed protagonist that is Donald Duck is more interesting to watch because Donald makes bad decisions. Right. Don, you can't entirely trust what Donald's going to do. Donald is unpredictable. And whenever you put Mickey and Donald together, if you're not making them adversaries. Right. Like like you need to play off their relationship a bit. You need you need them to be at odds for longer parts of the movie. And sure. I'll tell you the best part of this movie happens before arguably the inciting incident. It's when they're all starving at home. Yes. And Donald flips out. 
I always laugh when Donald just goes when Donald when Mickey is is serving that sad little one slice of bean sandwich on the two tiniest pieces of bread like and you watch thin, right? you watch Donald and like and like you just know this is not going to go well and then Donald completely loses it Mickey and Goofy tie him down and like Donald's like I'm in control I'm in control but Donald is not in control and there's a moment and maybe I read this moment wrong, but I think I'm supposed to, where Donald looks at Mickey, and then Donald looks at the axe, and he yes. looks at Mickey again, and he grabs the axe, and for a split second, you believe Donald's intention <laughs> is to kill and then eat Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse. <laughs> He's a cannibal, right? Well, I guess. I, well, is that really cannibalistic if you're not the same species? No. Anyway. I mean, and, and then he's going for the cow. <laughs> sure. And they try to stop him from going for the cow. But I'm gonna I'm gonna point out, like, guys, hamburger is uh, this is not crazy. What was crazy? What you was what you were trying to eat before? Uh, right, Don, right. Donald's not wrong here. But the, but that's the thing. Donald immediately is interesting because he's at the end of his rope, whereas. Goofy and Mickey sitting at the table are just like, you know, making the best of a bad situation. They're resigned to it, right? And you can't have a protagonist, at least yes. not a strong protagonist, that's sort of resigned to their fate. They have to act on it. And that's so exactly I, would, right. I would agree with you. And so in that moment, Donald really is, boy, he really is the one that's, um, that's Donald acting. is. For he's, me, when he's grabbing the axe and he's going out and he's, you know, biting the cow's tail and he's he's making a a change in in the, you know, in the environment. Yeah, I, I mean, that's 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 exactly it. I have always found that I have trouble paying attention to Mickey when Donald's around. And I think Walt felt that way a lot of the time, too. That like like that Donald was like this demon that he'd unlocked from a bottle and could never get back into the bottle again. He wanted to tell stories about his mouse, but there was this duck who was constantly stealing the show. Well, let's talk about these two giants. We have uh, the giant in uh, our first film, Brave Little Taylor, and we have the giant in Mickey and the Beanstalk. Yes. How are they the same and how are they different? Well, I mean... How, well, they're both giants, so they're the same that way. The mm -hmm. first giant, though, has, I, I want almost want to say he's um, a sociopath. Uh -huh. uh, he, <laughs> I, I, I can't diagnose. He doesn't have a lot of dialogue. But he's walking through this valley, stepping on things. He's eating other people's pumpkins. He's smoking their hay like a cigarette. Human life has no value to him. They are all insects in his world. Right. Uh, and and there's it's not even that he's malevolent towards them. He gets malevolent towards Mickey when Mickey starts putting up a fight. Mm -hmm. It's but but they're beneath they're just beneath him. He's just yeah, he, so he just big. seems a lot less villainous. You know, he just is acting in this world that's tiny and he's kind of a bull in a china shop. I don't you know? like him. I don't think I'd be friends with him, but he doesn't have much of a personality. Yeah, and I think in that way, Willie is a bigger star. And that's yes. this is a way in which Mickey and the Beanstalk, I think, is superior. Of course, we have more time to develop Willie over the right. course of right. the 20-something minutes. But Willie is playful. Uh, he's funny. 
The song he sings, uh, I just remember my oldest boy laughing and laughing, going, I don't know no Fifi. Right, yeah. Right? The Fifi my folk song. as well, yeah. Yeah. He's he's funny. He's funny. Yeah. And he strikes me less like a sociopath and more just like a big kid. Mm-hmm. I, you know, he's just, there's an arrested development happening here. He's, what he needs is parents. Right. What he needs is someone to discipline him, to teach him the difference between right and wrong. But I don't, I don't feel he is irredeemably villainous. Right. In the same way that that, you know, many Disney villains are. He just yeah, I mean, he, he just I mean, his only sin is that he's oafish, really. And, and he does have these supernatural characteristics. He can change into things. He can shape shift a little bit. And that's a little different from this giant in the first. Uh, yeah, he's a he fairy creature. Willie not- seems more powerful for sure. Yes. Um, and and we get he turns into a giant. But and I think there is a part. I mean, this is the thing that's most interesting about Willie is I think Willie does try to make friends with Mickey, mm-hmm. right? He's like, I'll change into anything you want. Like, he, he's eager to please. Mm-hmm. I don't know that Willie recognizes the harm he's done by taking the harp. And I just get the sense, and maybe I'm projecting onto him something that's not there, that the real problem with Willie is that he's lonely up in that castle and he took the harp for companionship, Right. Yeah, um, except that he locked the locked her away, and that's kind of weird. Um, so, uh, granted, I, 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 look, look, you know, he is definitely not the hero of this story. He's definitely the villain of this story. But in the same way that a kid might be possessive of something and want to lock it away, right? Like that's right. That's that's a thing kids do. What do you think the function of? We've talked about the function of Donald. What do you think the function of Goofy is here? To carry the harp at the end? I have no idea. Goofy is almost unnecessary to this story. I mean, he's got a great song with the turkey, a lobster, sweet potato pie. That's a great song. The Adam's apple bit is is a fun little visual. There are a lot of bits. There's nothing uh, I mean, for him to do. No, I mean, he never even gets a bite to eat, really. No. <laughs> so he bounces on the jello. He missed the peas all miss his mouth. Um, the nuts aren't cracked, right? So he never really gets a bite. He just, he's just kind of goofy. He, and he, I mean, that's exactly it. He He's there to be, I guess, comic relief in right. a sense. But this is, look, it's not Donald's story. It's Mickey no. and the Beanstalk. It's not Mickey, Donald, and, and Goofy and the Beanstalk. It's Mickey and the right. Beanstalk. Donald at least has a story function. Donald is the equivalent of Jack's mother from Jack and the Beanstalk, who similarly throws the beans and causes the beanstalk to grow, right? Yeah, yeah. So why do we need Goofy? And the answer is, well, the answer is we don't. Well, comic relief would be interesting, but I think what's happening in the narration is the narration is serving as the comic relief. And so it really takes away from what Goofy could bring to the table. Sure. If you give if you give some of the exposition that the narrator is saying over to Goofy, um, if Goofy could. So Goofy is at his best, arguably, if he has the insights into Mickey and Donald's behavior and is in between the two of them trying to bring them together, then he's got something to do in the story. But the narrator is doing that. So there really is no room for Goofy here. No, there isn't. 
You could replace I mean, Goofy with Pluto, and it wouldn't be any different. Hey, and speaking of Pluto, he has a speaking part <laughs> in Brave Little Taylor, right? He, I mean, He's in, a, in a Planet of the Apes evolution part. of Pluto sort of way. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, but then he goes back to being a dog. What I don't know. Anyway. My, yeah. I was no, I did notice that. My I did there. notice that. That did. That definitely looked like uh, Pluto Sapes. That I did notice that. That did. That definitely looked like. Are there like, any other uh, characters Pluto that we Sapes. really want to dig into? There I are a couple. I want to that... talk about the Golden Harp a little bit. Please do. Um. So my issue with the gold. Look, she's pretty and she's singing and she's an ingenue sort of type, and that's and that's fine. Uh. It is problematic to me that the one female character in this is a literal object. I, I don't I don't think this is going to win any awards for feminism uh, when when you when you make the one female character an object. But I wonder if this story would be better is if you took the harp out and you made it Minnie Mouse, and you make mm. the motivation to rescue. That Mickey falls in love with Minnie, who's occasionally brought out to sing. Right. And and there's a love story there. Yeah, I mean, Minnie Mouse is a big fan of this podcast. Uh, but but uh, That it, is official, and that is canon, and I will die <laughs> defending that point. <laughs> she loves it. And, I mean, and it is her love, right, that convinces Mickey that he's a giant killer in the first. It would be her love that would be more, far more interesting and redeemable than a golden harp right and it I mean, makes I, I mickey it, it puts look mickey at a certain point could just say look that's a harp it might look mm. like a woman but it's a harp gotta get my boys home and that's fine but if it's mini and it's a person i feel mm -hmm. differently about it and then then we don't even need to worry about the is mickey a thief for stealing Minnie is a prisoner, not an That's object. Right. That's People right. cannot belong to giants the way that even magical harps are uh, right. sometimes belong. Uh, so my issue with the Golden Harp is not the performance or the animation, but the missed opportunity to motivate Mickey further by making it personal for him. And watching Mickey fall in love with Minnie is fun. It's yes. just fun. It's it's a good time. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've been they've been together now for how many years? I, I mean, yeah. what a couple. <laughs> I, I can't wait for them to get married. And I hope that Minnie keeps her last name and doesn't change it. Or hyphenates it and becomes Minnie Mouse Mouse. I love it. I love yes. it. All right. Protagonist problems. We've talked about it. Um, protagonist of Brave Little Taylor. They say uh, Mickey. Is Mickey, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's no problem there. No, uh, it should be. It is it is a problem free story. It's on a simple A to Z line. He does everything that a hero is supposed to do in the story. He doesn't believe himself to be a hero, doesn't think he tries to do things the way a traditional hero would do them, eventually right. realizes he's got to be the hero version of that he is. He's a tailor. That's the thing that he knows is clothes and and develop and discovers there's a way to be heroic and still be himself. Everything is there. Right, right. The, the protagonist in the second movie, though, and I think we've touched on this already, is it Mickey or is it Donald? It's um, Mickey, but it should be Donald. Yeah, yeah. To, we never so, see. And, and again, my big thing, my big, big sticking point is we never see Mickey sell the cow. 
Nope. We never see it. And we should. We absolutely should. I will throw out, and this is one of my favorite things about Donald Duck, and I may have said this before when we talked about DuckTales. Donald Duck is a gun that you wait to go off. He's an explosion. And if the giant locked Mickey and Goofy in the chest, Mm -hmm. there'd be a moment where Donald was like, should I just get out of here? And we would wonder, maybe Donald's going to do it. But then there's that point, and it always comes in a Donald Duck cartoon, where you push Donald too far, and he explodes, and right. it is glorious, and I love every second. It He becomes Popeye with the spinach, and, and he's just he becomes a force to be reckoned with. And the movie would be better for some mm. more Donald hijinks. And less Mickey. And less Mickey. I like me. I love you, Mickey. But 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 Donald's the star. He's just got it. He's the it. Duck. Yeah. I mean, if you really want somebody to he really takes he man, he takes that scene and steals it. Right. Yes. Uh, and he steals the scene when Mickey comes back with the beans. Right. Yes. He steal. He, he just he gave up his cow. He gave up his cow and he was singing the song with goofy and he was excited about you know food and then you come home with beans what you're just going to get more beans the thing that that you have to do in this story is you have to lock donald duck in a box to get him out of the story because literally other, literally lock him literally. in a box because otherwise you are always the, the tension is never what mickey's going to do it's always what donald's going to do you have to remove him from the story yeah, in order for the story to proceed Steals every scene. Yeah. Uh, antagonist of this movie. I, uh, movies, I should say. Brave well, I Little mean, Taylor. It's, it's the giant in The Brave mm-hmm. Little Tailor. And it's clearly the giant in The Brave mm-hmm. Little Tailor. Okay. Uh, I would say there's probably an argument to be made in The Brave Little Tailor that the, that the antagonist is the king who won't take no for an answer. Uh, but that's, that's pretty weak sauce. M- Mickey, Mickey doesn't take much swaying. The king is desperate. He's not really the antagonist there. Right. Uh, it's a David and Goliath story, for sure. And yeah. the giant's the giant. He's going, yeah. Mickey's got to take him down. And the antagonist in Mickey and the Beanstalk, I mean, it is Willie. Right. It's just, it's just, same problem we had with Oogie Boogie a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. When your villain is just sitting at home, minding his own business, it's an antagonist problem. If Willie was, look, Willie went down to Happy Valley and he stole the harp. That's when he was doing his antagonist stuff. If we're the 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 antagonist function in Brave Little Taylor is better. There's a giant on the loose wrecking havoc on the kingdom. Right. Right. We don't even know. Nobody in Happy Valley knows why everything dried up. Right. They don't even know. And so that's it. If it, if he's going to be a good antagonist, he's got to be there from the beginning and he's got to be causing the primary conflict from the beginning. And we have to know it. And our protagonist has to know it. And do- and, and then it makes the call, you know, if we're going to dodge the call, it makes it more interesting. I, yeah, I I just don't. Yeah, I don't think he does enough. No, he nope. doesn't do enough. Yep. Antagonist problem. All right. Themes. Do we have any themes? Well, uh, Brave Little Taylor, it's about finding the strength uh, of your your own individual strength to be the hero. Mm-hmm. Um, finding your own path towards it, doing it your way. 
I think I think the themes are pretty strong there. I find it a little harder to find themes in uh, Mickey and the Beanstalk, though. How do you do there? Well, I mean, there's definitely bravery in the face of conflict, right? Um, yes. But it's it's tough because things sort of happen. There's no things sort of happen the way they do in a cartoon like bits right like you got this bit and this bit and we're stringing them all together as opposed to here's the protagonist here's what he needs here's who he you know who's here's he's flawed in the beginning now he's going to be this person but the dramatic question because we don't have a strong dramatic question with him it's hard to find that theme and that's that's i just had like this Insight that just flashed yeah. me. I think you saw it happen in my face. <laughs> um, here's why there's no the theme problem. It's that scene that's missing. In other Disney movies, we have our fairy godmother. We have our blue fairy. We have our force that comes in and lets us know why our hero has been chosen to be our hero and mm-hmm. must go on this journey. There needs to be a conversation between Mickey and the mysterious man okay. where Mickey goes and he wants to sell the cow and and who, what, whoever it is who's going to give him the magic beans has a conversation with Mickey where he points out to Mickey that what Mickey thinks he wants is not sustainable. Uh, what Mickey thinks his problem is is not really his problem. That conversation is so crucial to yeah. watching Mickey grow and learn and develop as a hero over the course of the story. It is so necessary for him to be put on a path, start as one person and become another person. Right, yes. That without that scene, you and I are going, "What? wait, why does he have the magic beans? Who gave them to this mouse and why? Right. And we don't know. I mean, it, it would be this perfect call to action, right? Yes. It would be this perfect call to action if there was this, but I'm here to sell this cow, but my friends are hungry, right? And and there's like, no, you have to do this. And and maybe Mickey, it looks like he's been sold a bill of goods and he's got some remorse about it. And if Mickey they, is crying as he's trying to give the cow up because he right. loves the cow, and right. the person's like, Why are you selling the cow? You're exactly right. I'm doing it. I have to. Donald and Goofy need to eat. And and I I have to give up this thing I love for them. Then we would say, right. oh, it's Mickey's ability to sacrifice himself or or a million other things. If a mil- without that scene. Yep. We we're just it. watching the story, but yep. we're not watching a transformation. Brave Little Taylor has the transformation. Absolutely. Mickey starts as one person, becomes another in eight minutes. You can do this in 23 and have a richer meal for it. Absolutely. But we got marry your protagonist to that to that camera and don't let him out of your sight. 100%. All right. Pitch time. What would we do with this material? Why don't you go first this time, Andy, as I try to make something up? <laughs> okay. Well, I want a remake. Okay. All right. But I want a giant film where we get the giant's POV on who Mickey Mouse really is. That he's a conniver who trespasses and steals food and has a wicked way with thread. I want the giant to pull Mickey and be and be um, almost where Mickey's the antagonist a little bit. 
Okay. I think that I think that could be really fun. It's off brand for Mickey Mouse. But I don't know because I've been watching these new Mickey Mouse cartoons lately, which are absolutely hilarious. And Mickey is often in his own way and bumbles and you know isn't so great. So I think it would be fun to have a film where you know Mickey's really kind of uh, uh again, he's he comes into my <clears throat> he comes into my space and takes all my stuff and then expects me to do this and that, you know, and I think it could be, I could think it could be really fun. Okay. I'm going to also, I'm going to do a different version of Jack and the Beanstalk. Uh, I'm not going to use Mickey Mouse, Donald and Goofy, but instead I'm going to use Winnie the Pooh, Piglet and Tigger. (laughs) And the giant at the top of the castle is Rabbit. <laughs> and and Wonderful. they go in looking for a small smackaroo, uh, <laughs> but because because this is Winnie the Pooh, uh, you know Piglet's afraid, but he has to be very brave. Tigger thinks he can take the giant, but then he has that moment when he just sees how much bigger Rabbit is than him, and he he's revealed as like, ooh, maybe this isn't what Tiggers do best. Uh, but it is <laughs> Pooh through the power of friendship who wins over rabbit uh-huh. and i just made this up now but i feel like i feel like this is a winner uh i i want i want poo poo in the beanstalk that's what uh, i want i i poo in the honey so. stalk and the honey there stalk. are lots of honey <laughs> growing out of the beanstalk instead of beans <laughs> well that'd definitely get him up there wouldn't it oh yeah i'm i'm proud that's good that yes. i would go see that i would see that movie there we go um, what are we doing next week? Next week, we are doing 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Oh, that sounds like a fun one. Yes, and we're going back to live action a little bit. Uh, yeah. But this is this is really in there, Disney DNA. Uh, the 20,000 Leagues ride was a big part of both Disney World and Disneyland. And though oh, yeah. they have since been repurposed uh, or, or completely eliminated in the case of Disney World, uh, it, it is it is. Really, it's really very Disney, and I'm I'm excited to take a look at it. Awesome, awesome. Well, if you like what you're hearing, will you do us a favor and share this podcast with another Disney or classic movie fan? And please check out our Once Upon a Disney Facebook page. Larry's going to put some great links up there this week. Tweet us at, at Andy Redwine or at Larry Brenner 6. And you can always drop us a line in our mailbag at Once Upon a Disney Podcast at gmail.com. So until next time, friends, see you real soon. See you real soon.